and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred. That great theme music by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Uh, today, we are going to wrap up our feature on Our Life Together Among the Works of Art. It is a circa 1980 independent radio production that aired on WBAI. Uh, it's about a group of struggling young writers in New York City and their interpersonal drama and activities as they try to get the big P published. But first, um, a short moment to mark that this is our fourth anniversary of podcasting. Uh, We've made it from 2011 to 2011 here, producing new radio drama episodes each week, here showcasing new radio drama from around the world each week. Um, Such a great thing. have so many producers to thank um, for sharing their work over the years, uh, for taking the time to talk to me. And um, you for listening and for sharing it with your friends and being faithful and interested and getting excited about this wonderful thing called radio drama. And believe me, I am not making it up when I think there's a radio drama revival going on. Thanks to you. Thanks to the web. Thanks to this wonderful digital technology. Um, Kind of a nice metaphor for that is the production that we're featuring, which um, has not been heard in a number of years, but uh, can come back because of the web. Um, Maybe not on uh, regular terrestrial radio um, as much anymore, but here on Radio Drama Revival, it can go out to the universe. Um, anyways, uh, one thing that has come up uh, being sort of a short-form show, somewhere between 30 and minutes and an hour, depending on my whim of a particular week, is uh, that in reality, there's just too much work out there for me to feature it on the show. Um, and that has meant that some productions um, that I may have wanted to feature or ought to be featured have not made it onto this uh, podcast dial for you. Um, so if you're one of those producers that sent me work over the years and think I'm a jerk for ignoring you, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not the case. Uh, but there's, I, I get so many submissions that it's um, hard to keep up sometimes and uh, figure out where to put what show when um, as a come up with themes and stuff like that. So it's uh, quite a bit of job actually here behind the scenes. It's really been a uh, solo effort. Um, this whole time, but uh, all this makes me very happy to introduce you to a new colleague called Captain Radio. Uh, Captain Radio exists out there in the fifth dimension, and he is launching a new effort that will help us showcase even more of the great audio out there. Time to cue Captain Radio. Go for it. Captain Radio here. Greetings to you, Audionauts, from the fifth dimension of imagination, where the valiant struggle against the televillain occupation of Arala continues. Nonetheless, It would be remiss, improper, and downright rude not to pause to offer robust congratulations to Radio Drama Revival on four excellent years of restoring Golden Age radio storytelling through modern production values and technology. Now, as Fred Greenhalf and the Radio Drama Revival team launch their milestone half-decade year, Captain Radio in the Fifth Dimension proudly allies with RDR to expand the production, release, and promotion of new radio drama programming. Beginning Monday, January 24, 2011, in collaboration with Radio Drama Revival, Captain Radio in the Fifth Dimension launches a new website, CaptainRadio5.com, that's the numeral five, where you will find a fascinating and entertaining array of channels featuring full-length original radio drama. Captain Radio's multiple podcast channel format with regular new offerings on each channel allows timely release of a larger variety of new materials submitted either to Radio Drama Revival or directly to Captain Radio. You can also subscribe to Captain Radio's personal blog. There you can offer our channel producers constructive feedback on their audio work, follow my never-ending quest to refine my own command of the art of radio drama production, and of course, get the latest intel on the Aralan resistance effort. 
In addition, Captain Radio and his precocious canine partner, Zap, will begin sharing pocket radio drama episode reviews and news as a regular part of Radio Drama Revival. If it gets four paws up, you'd better lend it an ear. Well, Zap, Destiny, Professor Hale, and I must return to defending the fifth dimension of imagination on Arala, where video mind control has gone berserk. Be sure to visit my new website, CaptainRadio5.com, that's the numeral 5, beginning January 24th. Thereafter, be sure to watch for regular release of new episodes of Captain Radio in the Fifth Dimension. <laughs> okay, thank you, Captain. CaptainRadio5.com is the place to go. Check out that sister podcast there. If you like what you hear, uh, send it my way, and maybe we'll get it here on this particular channel, but um, more Radio Drama Revival efforts at Captain Radio 5, so... Thank you, Captain. Okay, back to the program. Uh, today we are going to hear three more episodes from our little New York soap opera, Out for a Walk, is an episode which lets us know what trouble our characters are going to get in when they go out field recording. Um, we've got America the Beautiful and Gossip, where uh, we hear what happens uh, with the persnickety narrator um, who gets a mind of his own. So uh, enjoy those, and then stay tuned afterwards for an interview with Jessica Ramey. Catch you in a bit. And now, it's time for our life together among the works of art. The radio show that never goes anywhere, but just sits in its room and reads. How that show expects to stay healthy without any fresh air or exercises beyond me, which is why... Which is why... Weren't we supposed to have some sound effects here? Sound, please? Techies, where are you? Out for coffee already? I can't see them. Why do they always turn out the lights in the control room? I've been too shy to ask them. Sound, please? I guess they do it for the proscenium effect. They're the audience, we're the players. If God had meant us to have proscenium stages, he would have given us wings. Come on, engineers, sound effects. about time. <clears throat> this is the radio show about starving artists, post-beatnik, post-hippie youth on New York's glittering upper left side. As our story opens, we find three examples of the genre. What did you call Three us? white middle-class young people whom the author is pleased to call Phoebe, Jay, and Julian. And just now, they are strolling down Broadway to the movie theater. Curse of the Flamingos, oh. an extremely rare print, with a script by Ernest Boneholder, directed by Max Sandwich, and starring Ethel Wigseller and Rotten Sundance. It's the last of the Boneholder series the flashlights been showing. Of the 17 in the series, I've been to 15, so this will make 16, and the other one I've seen on television. So now I guess I've got Boneholder squared away. I enjoyed some of them, but I don't think he's always cracked up to be... Though this is supposed to be one of the best ones. I never liked him, not even when I was a child. But Jay, aren't you scared that one day you'll see all the movies there are? I don't see how that day could ever come. The industry keeps turning them out, and there are all kinds of minor directors I still haven't seen all of. For instance, there's a Slowbinder festival coming up. They're going to show the evil laugh of Rip Van Winkle, which I've never seen. But Jay, if you go to the movies all the time, when do you have time for reality? I consider movies as real as real life. What's the difference? Oh, come on, Jay. Movies are fantasy, but real life is... Uh... Reality. But you're still alive when you're seeing a movie. I don't see why you have to draw this arbitrary distinction between movies and real Isn't life. It's great to be out in location today. We've never been out in the street before. And how do you like this thing called Broadway? I mean, on this soap opera, we've never been out. 
We're always sitting around the little table in the little apartment at 522 drinking little cups of slow speed. And talking about art and reality. Yeah. It sure is different to be out here. Hey, is the Boneholder film going to be on the radio too? Nah, I mentioned this episode will end up before we get there. Listen, I'm going to stop and get a paper. I'll catch up with you later. See you for the outro. Later, Gator. Bye. He probably doesn't want us to see him reading the casting notes. Do you think he's moonlighting? I heard he made a guest appearance on The Young and the Board. You know, the soap opera on the police side. Mm -hmm. They say Boneholder's daughter is in that. I haven't caught it yet. What do you know? There's, there's Red. Where? Across the street. Uh, he's waving. Oh, I see him. What's he doing now? It's a good question. Oh, charades. He's pointing to his eyes. Now he's grinding coffee. Oh, I get it, a movie camera. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, what movie are you going to see? How do we hack that one out? Oh, Jay, you're going to embarrass us. Curse of the flamingos. Very good imitation, Jay. Well, the lights change. He's coming over. Hey. Is that Curse of the Flamingos? You got it. You certainly got a future in parlor games. Were you headed there too? I thought you were going to the bookstores. Yeah, but then I got the urge to see this one. After seeing Trucker's Paradise last week. Wasn't it great? I've seen it a million times, but it always reveals new More facets. Film talk. That's I like the part where Ethel Wood's I mean, I like movies too, but how can anyone go three times a day? Fred's getting almost as bad as Jay. No, Boneholder said that they went to Martians and Sonic and John Those cars were really coming How can anyone go to see Martians? She was so carried away. I can't figure it out. And afterwards, she said, now that you mention it, there seem to be a lot of cars going past. So how do you rate this series all in all? What kind of things did you think about Boneholder's art? Right. Not always cracked up to me. Well, he says going I think to the radical critics get carried away with this. Oh, how typical. So it's always machines with him. I don't know what he's too sentimental. Him. He says he can't wait to lay in bed a machine that'll fall in love. And then he says he'll be the first on his block to buy one. Maybe the reason the computers are involved is because they are. That's love. I don't want any part of it. Hey, Red. Hey, slow down, good buddy. Hey, Butch. That's a good word. Rodamon Todd. And I've always liked Rodamon Todd. What's with the entourage? I knew you were popular. Oh, well, these are my roommates. Julian, Phoebe, Jay. Allow me to introduce Butch. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, look, actually, William Wright Vernon III. They call me Butch. Red, I didn't know you lived in a collective. I don't know if I'd call it that. This is quite the day for coincidences. We're only with Red by accident. Yeah, how do you know each other? We used to work at the same mailing house. Well, I'm still stuck there. You got out. I didn't know you worked at a mailing house. Yeah, it was my first job when I came to New York. Before I moved up to the wonderful world of customer service. Well, at least I'm still in publishing. You're just in retailing. Yeah, you're in publishing right at the bottom. Nowhere to go but up. Well, we're working. We're in a radio play. You're working right now? Yes, you'll get to be on the radio. Oh, I hope I get to hear myself. It must be nice to use the airwaves instead of having to mail everything. It must be depressing, always sending out mail and never getting any. What exactly does a mailing house do? We uh, mail things. Magazines, mostly. Like, a magazine publisher won't mail from their office, right? They don't want the hassle of the postage rates or whatever, so they, they have a mailing house to do it for them. We keep the mailing list, do the labeling, bundling, filling out the forms, keeping a mailing account with the post office. That sounds very interesting. It's not. It's boring as hell. We get stoned every lunch hour. The guy we work for is okay, but the work is boring. Like, you have these computer labels, which come in zip code order. You put the labels on the labeling machine, which puts them on the papers. You let the machine run off 15 or 20, then you stop the machine, and the other guy checks to see if he's got all of his zip code. Well, then he picks them up, and he stacks them, and he hands them to this third guy who puts them on the stringing machine, which ties the string around them. You know, first 
one way and then around the other way and it knots the string for you and you cut it on the machine. You should see these machines, Phoebe. They're amazing. I never understood how a machine can knot something. You know, like how a sewing machine works, you know how it wraps one thread around the other? Yeah, I never realized there was so much to it. Oh, sure. Yeah, like the whole zip code system. It's amazing when you think about it. Dividing up the country according to a decimal system. Imposing technology on nature. You know, they have plans to extend the zip code system to seven digits. So, yeah, yeah, every street will have its own zip code. And at that point, everything will be numbers. That's completely dehumanizing, isn't it? Do you realize that if they extended the system to nine digits, then every man, woman, and child in America would have their own number? You wouldn't need names or addresses anymore? Sounds like an alienating place to go. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when it gets really dull, and I'm the one checking the zip codes, all I do is imagine the places they refer to. It's a cheap form of travel, like the 200s, Washington, D.C. I try to imagine who reads these things there. Who would read the Fur Age Weekly in Washington? A furrier who got elected to Congress. What's the Fur Age Weekly? It's a weekly magazine for furriers. You know, what's doing with meat farms and all? Or the Sevens, Texas, Oklahoma, the Plains, the oil field. Or the Nines, those crazy California Nines. And, of course, New Jersey's a zero. Natch. New York is number one. And uh, tell them about the name contest. Oh, right. Yeah, we have a weekly prize for the best subscriber's name. Oh, yeah? What kind of things win? Oh, let's see. Eartha Quirk. Yeah, everybody loved her. Oi King Shu. Mitchell Meyer first. We voted him most likely to succeed. Obviously, an up-and-coming young lawyer. Remember a Millie Mechanic character in a TV commercial? Oh, the new feminist advertising. Oh, no. My car won't start. I have to close a big real estate deal at 9 o'clock. What'll I do? Call Millie Mechanic. <laughs> or Selena Fuss. The great on in a Dickens novel. As a matter of fact, Butch is collecting the names for novelies, right? Oh, novel? What's it called? Why do people always ask that? No offense, it, it's just that I, it doesn't have a title yet, and I've considered so many. Like, at one point I was going to call it Closing the Gap Between Postal Rates and Philosophy. But then I found out somebody was already using that as a name for a radio show. It's so hard to think up something original. You know, and then I thought about having one of those four-word titles, you know, like So Far, So Good, or It Takes Two to Tango. That's five words. Yeah. See how hard it is? By the way, did you go to Sarah's party the other night? Oh, I was there for a little while, but it was awfully crowded. I got cornered by old boy McCoy. It was easier to leave than detach myself from him. Well, was he drunk? Well, when isn't he? He's so pickled a delicatessen could garnish sandwiches with him. Anyway, like, as soon as he saw me, he grabbed me by the lapels and tried to focus his bloodshot eyes on my face, and then he started in on some long story about what Warren said to Barbara. So Sounds like a great party. It's too bad I missed it. Excuse me a sec. Hey! Hey, excuse me! Are you talking to me? Yeah, look, I know this sounds awfully cliche, but I know you from somewhere. It's true, I, I really I do know you. I don't think so. Really, I do. Didn't you used to not have curly hair? It's a permanent. Oh! You worked in the box office. At that film series downtown. Right. Oh, yes, I do know you. I don't remember your name. It was about four years ago, wasn't it? Your films used to go on right after our rehearsals? Yeah, yeah. It was the high school auditorium, right? And we'd always be there to the last minute? Sure, I remember you. I'm sorry about just now, but around here, women can't afford to look around every time some man yells, hey. I had to get your attention. There wasn't any other way. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't anything personal. So what are you doing here? Well, I was on my way to the store when I ran into these people. I know Red from work, and he lives with these people. Hello, everyone, but I still don't remember your name. Butch Vernon, and you're... Cecily. 
Hi. Hi, hi, hi. It's coming back to me. You wore red satin hot pants to rehearsals. Yeah, I'd never forget that. Oh, I'm so glad somebody noticed. I was only trying to get the director's goat by dressing like a hooker because he kept saying he wanted a classy production. I never did see that. I thought she was trying to wrap it. Oh, my God. Panther, what are you doing here? I can ask you the same thing. I just ran into Butch here. We knew each other four years ago. Who's Butch? And, wait a minute, Red wasn't supposed to be in this episode. Decided I want to see the movie after all. Been a big day for coincidences. I let you people out of my sight for ten minutes. It just goes to show what can happen when you go on location. How do you two know each other? Oh, everybody knows Panther. He's one of the best announcers in the business. What do you mean, on location? I don't believe this. Panther, you can introduce me properly. Don't be such a grouch. These are just characters in that soap opera I narrate over on the left side. And I don't even know this guy. I told you, that's Butch. But I don't believe you're really on location. I thought soaps never went outside. Don't you remember the car crash scene on Love of Life about 12 years ago? How do you know Cecily? And what did she call you? Panther? Cecily, you don't have to let everybody know. Panther? Ashamed of me? We know no, each I... other from the soap opera I'm in. On the police side, it's called The Young and the Board. Have you ever oh, heard of it? No. You must be. Cecily Boneholder. That's an amazing coincidence. We were just on our way to see Curse of the Flamingos. Me too. My therapist says it's very important for me None to convert my father on the adult the level. I can't leave you people alone so for a uh, second. You should talk. We caught you red-handed. You've been moonlighting. We heard rumors. Now we know. Look, I don't have an exclusive contract for this, and it's not a case Oh, we're going to report you to the little old lady in Holy Falls. I'm going to go to the office. Well, you're not getting off so easy. You never told us your nickname, Mr. Nowry. Can we call you Panther? Absolutely not. Just trying to salvage your dignity. Well, at least I had some to start with, Cecily. They're certainly hitting it all. Now the plot thickens. Oh, that's so trite, Phoebe. Oh. <clears throat> and that's all for the Cecily. Cecily! 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 Oh, hold it for a second. <clears throat> and that's all for this episode of Our Life Together Among the Works of Art. Tune in again next time for another exciting adventure. Brought to you by the Sirius Magazine Readers of America, the folks who say, when you're writing to your friends and relatives, why not drop a line to the editor of your favorite Sirius Magazine? We'll sure appreciate it. Okay, that's all. Go on. Do you have a pen on you? Here you go. I'll phone you tomorrow night. By then, I'll talk to my roommate. It's okay with him. If you don't get me, leave a message with my service. Question, why are photographers so hung up on reality? Photographers today, it seems, are either documentarians or, when they're more imaginative, they shoot in a fuzzy amateur style, which they call realism or reverence for the vernacular, but which is rarely carelessness. Who needs more snapshots? Well, at least I've got a title. Hmm. Photography Today, Documentation or Plain Sloppiness by Phoebe White. 
Doesn't sound revolutionary enough for left out. Smashing the lenses of the bourgeois shutterbugs. Hello? Oh, hi, Mrs. Scrivener. How are you? Oh? No, I'm sure he's planning to get the article. No, I'm sure he's planning to get the article to you as soon as... Well, how should I know? Listen, I don't really live here. I don't keep track of his life. Hello? I Is always tell him when you called, and I don't... Well, just do that! Goodbye! Oh. <laughs> Hi, Phoebe. Are you the only one home? Hi, Jay. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, George really isn't home this time. Of course she didn't believe me, that bitch. Mrs. Scrivener? Who oh, well, she says Dissolve Magazine will have to stop publishing if George doesn't finish his article, and then she and everyone uh, else will be out of a job. Oh, she's exaggerating. They always have things in the files they can use. I hate being put in this position, having to lie to his editors because he's too chicken to talk to them himself. Hmm, yes, what I hear you saying is you feel angry at George. Oh, I could kill him! Ah, I sense that you'd uh, like to express your <laughs> anger. Oh, Jay, stop teasing me. Well, you just sounded like you had problems, so I thought I'd sound like a therapist. I just get so tired of him and his charades. Speaking of charades, where's the narrator? Why, what time is it? According to my sometimes undependable timepiece, this episode should have started ten minutes ago. Well, nobody's here and we can't do it without a script. Wasn't the narrator supposed to bring them? Yeah, he could have at least dropped them off. That leaves us without lines, doesn't it? Oh, well, who likes to wait on lines? <sighs> and what is there to say, really, ultimately? Oh, I forgot. What is reality? Good question. So, uh, what are you up to? Oh, I was trying to write, but I got blocked. Mm, problems, problems. That's soap opera for you. Just one problem after another. How was work today? The same. Nothing ever happens. Hey, I'm going to see if there's anything good on the radio. Hey. Hey, is this a new village idiot? Oh, great. I want to see what uh, Blake Evanson thought of the Slowbinder series. Oh, turn it up. I love this program. Just... What is this? Well, All about the women of the future or something, it's really weird. What kind of demons would an individual have inside them that would make them do this kind of thing to poor little defenseless girls? Well, Pollyanna, who knows? I mean, maybe that's how boys get their socks off, you know what I mean? They call up and they go... <laughs> and I don't know what kind of person would waste perfectly good message units going... <laughs> you know, just pick up the phone and go... <laughs> You're a nut, Elsa. An absolute nut. I haven't. I hope Mom's listening. I can't believe I really did that, you know, going on the radio. Oh, Elsa. Have you flipped your lid? Oh, my goddess. I was only kidding. Just kidding. Oh, I, I was so scared there for, for a moment. I thought maybe this time she oh, Pauline, really Oh, are you all right? It was just a joke. I'm all right. Before we hot-foot it out of here to make room for Tommy Stockman, who's waiting anxiously outside. Oh, is that him? Really? Yes. That guy making faces at us through the window? Oh, he's so cute. Really? I never thought he'd be so cute. Oh, can you introduce us? Is he married? How much does he make? Oh, what a hunk. Don't you think he's hunky, Paul? Well, Elsie, they say he lives with his mother. Oh, fudge. He really is cute. I just love curly hair on a boy. Well, I, I guess... If you're oriented that way, I mean, I'm not, but I assume some of them are all right. Well, I don't think boys are so bad. They're kind of cute. 
Like the way they wear socks with holes in them. And the way they make coffee. They're so serious, they measure everything. I just think that's adorable, the way they make coffee. And they know how to work those big old computers and everything. And some of them know how to fix their own cars. And they know all about jazz. And they've read Faulkner and Hemingway. And, oh, I just think they're cute. Like last Sunday, you know, Nancy and I. You know Nancy, too? Mm, yes. She's a great chum of mine. And, yeah, we were, we were out in Central Park last Sunday. And I just wish you could have seen the boys. I mean, I know that's not your bag, Pollyanna. But you really should come out and see them on the weekends. They wear these cute little running shorts. And they're out there running around with their hairy legs showing. And they're just huffing and puffing up and down those hills well, I, I and suppose. then they stop and do exercises and touch their toes and everything and you can see their thighs and they bend yes. over and you can see their great little i really hate to cut you off elsie but we're running out of time and tommy just throws a tantrum like you wouldn't believe oh he's when like he, that huh yes when he can't begin his show on time you know how histrionic men are Oh, I know. They just have no emotional balance at all. So this has been Boys Keep Out, a program about girls' lives. And we've been talking with Elsie Dinsmore about things of concern to girls. I'm Pollyanna March, and I'll be seeing you all next week for Boys Keep Out. Boys Keep Out can be heard every week at this time. Well, actually, it ends at this time. It begins an hour earlier. It's 6 p.m. and 24 and a half seconds, and you're tuned to WBAD, the Apple's only progressive radio station. Have you ever I thought about committing it. suicide? So that's Have why he didn't show up. Our narrator working for another station. Oh, he could have at least read our scripts. Oh, and maybe he forgot the excitement of his new job. WBAD of all places. Oh, that narrator is just another lousy punk anarchist. I don't think he's that political. He's probably just doing it for the money. Well, that doesn't give him the right to stand us up this way. Now who's going to tell the audience about the cluttered kitchen table and the dirty, messy, smelly little apartment on Manhattan's glowering upper left side? They can't be listening if he's not here, can they? I don't know, and I don't care. And the way he plays the mature adult, always the professional, narrating us as though his life depended on it. And he doesn't show up, doesn't call, nothing. He'll probably show up later. He probably just got the time wrong. Or maybe I did. I'm not positive we were supposed to... Oh, I'll give him what for. Well, I do wish he dropped off the scripts. I hate having to improvise. Um, could I turn it up again? Sure. ...being sponsored by the Proteins from Insect Project. Then on Thursday, on our program, we'll be talking with my grand-aunt, Mrs. Madge Chinbunny in Chickpig, Alaska. That's right. They'll be long-distance, live on the air at the station's expense, and Aunt Madge and I will be idly chatting about the way young people are just going to the dogs nowadays. And then on Friday, we'll be talking with experts about the importance of being here now and living for the moment. So that's something we can all look forward to. So now, why don't we turn up Duke's mic, engineer? Well, Duke Armstrong, it's divine to have you here today to proselytize for men against disgusting, sexist American media. Welcome to our program, Duke. <coughs> Thanks, Tommy. It's absolutely divine to be here today. I think it's very, very important for men to get a, a handle on this burning issue that strikes at the heart of every red-blooded American male, be he rich or poor, fat or thin, irregardless of race, creed, color, 
national origin or sectional preference. Now, it certainly is an important subject, Duke, and before we go any further, I want to say we agree with you there 100.5%. I'm so glad we see eye to eye on this, Tommy. Well, we think you're right on target, Duke. So tell us now, Duke, about some of the very, very important work Mad Sam is doing in its stride to strike back at the creeping forces of disgusting, sexist American media. I'm very, very glad what you asked is for that, he Tommy. talking about? Because, oh, as I'm sure my agent that's told the guy you, we want to tell the march everyone on about the books last very, week. very exciting, very, very important work. We're Does romantic novels they sell in grocery stores? Well... He led a march on one of the publishers last week. A whole bunch of men picketed it, carrying signs saying, Boudoir books unfair to men. Gee, I wish I could have seen that. But how are they unfair to men? I've never read any of those books. Oh, because they treat men as security objects. You know the kind of thing, they always end in a kiss. Trembling, she laid her head on his muscular shoulder, and he gently kissed her neck. I've chased you to the South Pole and back, he murmured. But it was all worth it for this moment. Don't say this moment, she pleaded, her eyes dribbling with tears. Say always. But the touch of his lips on hers told her he was chained to her side forever. The end. Magnificent. Uh, wouldn't it be great if everything turned out that way in real life? Yeah. Well, it must be a common fantasy. I guess we all wish the problems were over and we could settle down to a life of bliss in our lovers' arms. Well, but maybe it's the problems that make it all so interesting. You really think so? Well, you can turn it up again. If you were to take all the volumes of women's romantic fiction and lay them end to end, they'd reach from Antarctica to Zimbabwe. That's right. And that's a very, very conservative estimate. This is a problem that we have got to face like men. It must be confronted hard on, as it were. We can't sweep it under the rug. No, Duke, we can't hide it in the closet. No, Tommy, we had better dig deep and unearth the dirty laundry. I think this is going to pull well, listen, the wool Phoebe. Yeah. a lot of uh, <coughs> Without a script or anything, it's very hard for me to say this. Say what? Well, don't take it personally, because we don't all feel this way. Feel what way? I think it may come That's what I'm getting to. Well, this isn't necessarily my opinion, or Red's, or Julian's, but... But what? Well... Against my will, I, I've been delegated to tell you that George wants you to leave. What do you mean? He wants you to move out. He says there's not enough room here for everybody, and, and well, you said you'd only be staying for a while. Where am I going to go? I don't know anyone to move in with. I don't have a job. I can't afford an apartment. Sure, he doesn't mean you have to leave oh, right that away. Oh, bastard. Why does he have to do this to me? He's always had it in for me ever since I've known him. Phoebe, please don't get so upset. George is under a lot of strain himself. Maybe more than you know. I know he's not being rational, but you did say... Oh, I know I said only for a while, but I'm so confused. I don't know where I go. But George has had it in for me ever since I got Phoebe, it's not just... You mean, you mean Marceline wants me to move, too? I didn't say that. Oh, boy, what a great pair of friends. I don't believe it. But, Phoebe, you said yourself... I know that, but that's not what it's about. It's just that I thought they were my friends, and now I find out they're not. Jane, you don't want me to move, too, do you? Well... It's fun having you around, but it is a little crowded here. Uh, but we wouldn't let George throw you out tomorrow. Tomorrow? What do you mean tomorrow? Don't I get two weeks' notice? You could probably stay longer than two weeks. I think George just means that eventually you should consider... Oh, I'll bet he didn't put it that way. Oh, Jay, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Where's my coat? Where are you going? Up to the roof. 
Hey, don't get mugged out there. I don't care if I do. You can't have a soap opera without problems. It's time for Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, the radio show that presents the literary life as it's really lived in this here tinsel apple. No, writers aren't superhuman. No, they're, they're not divinely inspired. Truth is, they're people like you and me. Well, like you anyway. Or as we put it where I come from, we's all just bears. Just what? You know, bears. The ones who walk around in the woods eating roots and berries and mauling innocent vacationers. Is all this in the script? The script came registered mail just this morning, direct from the little old lady in Holy Falls, Oklahoma. If she wanted you to interrupt me, she'd have written it that way. Yes, writers don't lead especially interesting lives. They just sit around cultivating an unhealthy reliance on artificial stimulants while they shoot the breeze, chew the fat, and... So disgusting, I can't go into Where it. Where the hell were you this afternoon? We had a recording date and you show up six hours late. What do you care when I show up? You people never do anything worth Where recording. Where were you? I got waylaid. It's none of your damn business. You got laid. Narrators Hey, not laid, stupid. Waylaid. As I was saying, one of our so-called protagonists, Phoebe by name, is sitting around the disgusting kitchen table. Well, if you'd wash the dishes once in a while, it wouldn't look it's so disgusting. It's not my job to do the dishes. I'm the narrator. Do you drink as much coffee as anyone well, else listen, around here? Listen, you so-called protagonist. I was engaged to narrate this program. I do the exposition. I called I, an imposition. I set the scene. I introduce the characters and situations. And then I go down to the Chinese-Cuban restaurant and have a cafe con leche. And then I come back up and do the outros and the credits. That's it. I don't wash dishes. Union says I'm not allowed to do the dishes. Stagehands are supposed to do the dishes. Well, you're a jerk if you think they have stagehands on a puny little hey, I'm not going to stand around here and argue with you. This thing is so low budget, they don't even give us toilet And paper. I'm sick of it, too. Just get out of here and leave me alone. And do your own lousy credits. God, why is everyone so mean to me? What did I do? Hello? Is anyone home? Just me. Hi, Phoebe. Brought some ice cream. Oh, hello, man. Ah, man. she's getting to know her place. Go to hell. I'm doing my best. Gee, you seem out of sorts. How about some ice cream? It'll raise your blood sugar level. Better blood for a better life. Red, don't be provoking. Oh. I'm sorry. Phoebe, have some ice cream. We got blood and gore and guts and bones. No, Red. Oh, stop it. Seriously, we've got cherry marshmallow and chocolate onion. Mm, I'll have some of the chocolate onion. Where have you guys been that made you so happy? Mm, no, we went to see some of the early Morisaki films. They were a little rough edge. They didn't have that same flowing symphonic quality That's as later. That's not what you said ten minutes ago. Well, I was just trying to sound like a critic. No, they were okay. Can I have some seconds on the ice cream? Sure. I didn't have any dinner. God, that's too bad. We had a terrific dinner. Yeah, we called you, but you weren't home. No, I was up on the roof for a while. The roof? What were you doing on the roof? You you weren't thinking of jumping off. No, Julian, just thinking. What's the matter? Oh, it's been such a horrible day. We were supposed to do an episode this afternoon, and the narrator never showed up. I mean, showed up later, but then he said the kitchen looked disgusting, and we had a big fight. 
You know, ever since he got mixed up with the crowd on the young and the board, he's changed completely. Yeah. He used to be so professional. Is that really true? I mean, about him moonlighting? Yeah, Jay and I were sitting here waiting for him, and then we heard him on the radio. He was announcing, can you believe it, on WBAD. Oh, that lousy punk anarchist, that's where he belongs. Okay, where is that cute little cockroach? I'll tear him limb from limb. Deserting you while your lives were going on. I just don't know what to do. Uh, he's just a narrator. He doesn't matter. It's not that. Well, is your writing going badly? No. I mean, yes, but that's not it. What are you so upset about? George says I have to leave. He told you to move out? He couldn't even tell me himself, that lousy tweep. He made Jay tell me. Red and I won't let him kick you out. Well, I don't want to be where I'm not wanted. I'll leave. Where are you going to go? I've decided I'm going to California. Do you know anyone out there? No, but who cares? Look what happens with the people I know here. They kick me out. No, oh, we're still your friends. Hey, true blue to the end. Julie and I don't want you to move out. Hmm. We like having you here. It's been fun. We've had lots of good times. In fact, let's have another one right now. Yeah, go fetch Mary Jane in here, Red. It's nothing like getting high when you're low. Hope we have some of that stuff left. Hmm. I thought George was going to tell you. You mean you knew? I'd heard rumors. Everyone's been skimming behind my back and I didn't know. Phoebe, nobody's scheming behind your back. What do you call it? It's not like anyone decided anything, just that Marceline was oh, saying it was Oh, damn, Marceline and George. I hope they both drop Phoebe, dead. Phoebe, you don't mean that. Well, I do. I thought they were my friends. Well, waterworks, huh? Did you know, Red? Or what? That George and Marceline wanted me to move out? Well, they just sort oh, of... Oh, George has always had it in for me. Well, as I understood it, it was more Marceline. Oh, idea. please, please don't talk about it. I'm too miserable. We've been friends since fifth grade. She's the one who said I could stay here in the first place. I, I don't want to know what she thinks. Oh, come on, girl, stop crying and light up. Here, this will make you feel better. Just don't tell me what Marceline said. I don't want to know. <sighs> Thanks, Red, you're a pal. Is this the good stuff you had last week? What did she say? Who? Marceline. See, Phoebe, I knew you like gossip more than moping. Well, if you're my friend, you'll tell me. She just said it was getting crowded here. That's not all she said. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Tell me what she said. I've got to know. Well, I think... She and George kind of blame you for their problems. What do their problems have to do with me? Well, nothing except your arrival just happened to coincide with the crisis in their affairs. What affairs? Uh, we thought you knew. I mean, Marceline never told you. Told me what? She's hardly spoken ten words to me in the two months I've been here. Oh, come on. You must know. We just assumed that you... I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Marceline's been carrying on a rather passionate relationship with Jay. You're kidding. Cross my heart, or their hearts anyway. Sure they are. It's been going on since last summer. Yeah, ever since George went to Downers Grove, Illinois to interview you, Fanbell. Who's he? Uh, some bozo connected with Bonehole. Hey, he was course. a cameraman and he was no bozo. Yeah. This tracking shot's the only thing that made some of those movies bearable. Oh, I don't care about any of that. Tell me about Marceline and Jay. Right. So anyway, George, he was out there in Downers Grove, Illinois. God, sometimes I think he belongs in a place Red. like that. So in the end, Marceline and Jay started pitter-pattering between bedrooms. Oh, they were all lovey-dovey the whole time George was away. She'd sit on his lap and he'd stroke her hair. They called each other Marcy Poo and Jay Jay. Oh, he's exaggerating incredibly. Well, they were lovey-dovey. But they weren't ridiculous, Red. I, I thought it was wonderful that she finally found someone who wouldn't walk all over her. Yeah, I guess so. Ah, but there's more to the story. Well, as you know... 
George is a regular bunny rabbit. Every time he comes back from somewhere, he goes through this whole scene with Marceline. What do you mean? Oh, he tells her all about how bad he's been, how much he hates himself for having done it. He just doesn't know what came over him, you know, etc. He gets hysterically guilty about it and beats his head against the wall. He tells her everything? And manages to feel so much more worse about the whole thing than she does that she ends up feeling sorry for him. When did she ought to be furious? That's a good technique George has worked out there. I ought to know I've used it myself on a few occasions. I remember once when I was still going with Michelle. Well, I committed a little transgression of my own. Uh, please finish about Marceline and George. Oh, yeah, Marceline and George. It's a fascinating story if he ever gets to it. Well, apparently George cut a swath through Downers Grove. Seems he did all his writing at the library while he was there, and he ended up getting it on with the librarian. Oh, you really believe that? Oh, I believe it. So when he came back, you know, he told Marceline all about it, began his routine, mm. beating his head against the wall and swearing he'd never do it again. Uh, you know how they are. Yeah. Always a stormy relationship. But they used to be the lovey-dovey ones. I mean, a few years ago, before your time... I didn't realize it. You know, it was a stormy relationship? Well, I figured out they weren't getting along. Oh, that's painfully obvious. But does George know about Marceline and Jay? Well, I'm getting to that. I want to hear the part about George's closing. I'm getting to that, but I have to establish the background Get of the... Get to the plot. Well, now you made me lose my train of thought. Why this fight was different from all other fights. All right. Well, so this time, instead of going through this forgiveness number... Marceline just told George about her romance with Jay. So then they had a really big fight. He told her she was a faithless slut deceiving him oh, like that. Dang. And she told him he was a no-good billy goat. Right, you weren't there. I'm just suggesting possible dialogue to put a little color in the narrative. So she told him to get the hell out and go stay with one of his other paramours. And she said she was going to go file for a divorce. She knew a lawyer could get it wholesale. And he said he loved her and he never loved anyone else. Not the librarian in Downers Grove, Illinois. Mm. Not Sarah. Well, not even Missy Frankel. Who's Missy Frankel? I thought you knew all about that. No, I thought he was seeing Rita Vaccaro. Who's Rita Vaccaro? I thought he was so hung up on her. I've never heard of her. Even I knew about Rita Vaccaro. He certainly leads a busy social life. Oh, Julian, that's so like you. Calling screwing a social life. <sighs> Why does Marceline put up with it? Well, she isn't putting up with it anymore. And anyway, this is love we're talking about. She has some respect. Oh, excuse me. I've completely lost my momentum. Uh, George was telling Marceline he loved her and her alone. <gasps> so Marceline was sick of that line. She'd heard it too many times before. It didn't impress her. And then George started swearing he'd never leave her. But that got her maddest of all, because now she had another iron in the fire, and she didn't want him around forever and ever. Then her eye lit upon George's clothes, which were piled up in the corner where he leaves them until she can't stand it and has to go do the laundry for him. Yeah, I love this part. She grabbed a pile of his dirty clothes, went to the window, flung it open, and tossed George's garments out into the night. They fluttered through the air like so many strange birds and landed in a heap on the street below. Ah, served him right for not doing his own laundry. Hey, but that's not all. Then roused to a fury, she came back for his manuscripts, intending to deprive the world forever the definitive analysis of the films of Ernest Boneholder according to the Marxian dialectical scheme. Oh, if only she'd succeeded. You're giving away the climax, Julian. She hesitated at the window. Perhaps she was prodded by the sting of conscience, the haunting memory of the love they'd share. Perhaps an anguished cry for mercy escaped George's lips. We shall never know. Then what happened? Not so fast. Well, then they both started feeling silly about it all, and then they made up. 
Now, it took him a little while to make up, and it was only in the afterglow of passion rediscovered that they remembered that all of George's clothes were still down in the street, and they'd better go get them. So they ran downstairs. They were a little too late, and a bum, he was already trying on the clothes. So they had to explain it all to the bum, who said George's clothes were just a style, but he'd give them all back for a dollar. But of course, they didn't have any money on them, so they had to give the bum one of the shirts and 56 cents to get them back. Boy, you didn't tell me that last part. That's terrible. So George and Marceline made up? Temporarily. If you want to call it that. It's sort of a truce right now. Marceline and Jay are still carrying on, but nobody talks about it. Plus which, now there's a new rumor that George is going to move out. Mm -hmm. Do you really think he will? Well, he told Jay that Sarah was waiting for this cheap sublet. Some friends of hers are going away in the spring, and George is talking about moving to this sublet with Sarah. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, uh, don't hold your breath. But why does he want me out if he's moving out himself? Oh, you know how indefinite those things are. All is fair in love. He and Marceline are still in love. They just don't get along. George changes his mind every day. First he wants to work it out with Marceline. Then he thinks Sarah really understands and will make his life wonderful. Well, I'm getting out of here. Oh, don't leave yet. Hey, the night's young. No, I mean I should move out. Quit getting mixed up with this melodrama. Oh, listen, Phoebe, what you need is to get drunk. I've got a bottle of plum wine in my room. Mm. And I can Hello? Get... Anybody home? Yeah, yeah we're here. Just here. Uh, Time for the outro. <clears throat> and that does it for another episode of Our Life Together Among the hey, Works Panther, of Art. how about a drink? I'll be out of your way in a minute if you'll just... Oh, come on, be a sport. I never drink on duty. <clears throat> and that does it for another episode in this stirring drama, What's-His-Name, brought to you by the Serious Magazine Readers of America. He never has any fun. The folks who say the literary life isn't all it's cracked up to be, but how would you ever know if you don't read a Serious Magazine? Oh, come on, let's drink to life and literature, okay? I'm not drinking with him. This episode was written by Jessica Ramey and featured Nancy Cohen as Phoebe, Robert Kent as Red, Manuel Gracious as Julian, and Adrian Cronauer as the narrator for what it's worth. Music by Maxwell Ramey, technical direction by Miles Smith. Recorded at the Acoustic Studios in New York. Produced and directed by Jessica Ramey. Those were a few more episodes from Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, a series by Jessica Ramey, produced in 1980, aired on WBAI. And now we're going to talk to um, producer Jessica about uh, this time in her life producing these radio dramas, how that changed her artistic career, and what has changed in radio drama from 1980 to today. Uh, let's talk. All right, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Uh, today, a special guest on the line is Jessica Ramey. She is the writer, director, and producer of this little uh, sexy soap opera you've heard called Our Life Together Among the Works of Art, um, a series in uh, 28 episodes uh, originally aired on WBAI about struggling young writers in New York City, struggling in a variety of ways, um, you know, fun series, um, and uh, really pleased to share it on the show. And Jessica, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you. So this is, it's fun because this is a series that uh, I understand has not gotten a huge amount of airplay since it originally aired, um, but 
do you just want to introduce us a little bit to the series of you know what was going on? You know, there's, a, there's for instance, there's a lot of jokes about reel to reel. It's an an era of radio production that some listeners today not may not be familiar with. Do you, do you want to just talk about a little bit how this uh, radio show came together? Uh, brings back to that era. At the time I was working at WBAI. I was uh, editing the program guide. We used to have a program guide that we mailed every month and uh, before the age of websites. Yeah. <laughs> I also had my own live show called Closing the Gap Between Postal Rates and Philosophy, uh, which was on early Saturday mornings. There was a freeform live show where I played records and interviewed anybody I could uh, manage to persuade to get up that early. Um, but I was feeling I put a lot of work into it and I felt it was just so ephemeral. It was over when it was over and forgotten. And I was feeling that if I was going to put that much work into something that I'd rather do something on tape that would last. It was aired three times on WBAI and once on KCSM in San Mateo. And then it was, uh, pretty much forgotten, although I found out that not entirely forgotten. It still has some fans out there. And I, and I wonder, um, you know, being that you chose radio drama as a medium, what was your exposure to the medium? You know, what what are your memories of radio drama being uh, an art form um, at that time that you chose to make this? Uh, mostly stuff that I heard on WBAI. I was a really passionate listener to the station uh, in college, and uh, after college, a friend of mine went to work there, and uh, and I started hanging out there, and that was how I got to be a guest on some programs, and then started doing programs of my own, and got somebody to teach me to engineer. So I became an announcer, and engineered uh, other people's shows. And yes, it was real to real. Uh, the uh, it wasn't. I was in. I left WBAI and became an independent producer when I did this. So it was actually recorded at a place called Acoustaguide, uh, where they made recorded tours for museums. And it was done in a really tiny soundproof booth with a stereo pair of mics on reel-to-reel tape. Uh, it was, And then we edited it and mixed in the music and the occasional sound effects, as you know, that we didn't going much for sound effects. And, and look, so looking at the legacy of this, it does look like you've gone on to do some other radio pieces. Um, and, and how would you say that your experience doing this radio drama, you know, how did that lead to either, uh, you know, e- you know, either other opportunities in radio or moving on to inform, you know, pieces you've done in other media? Well, I did, I only did two more um, extensive projects in radio after that. Uh, one was called Fables for Political Animals, and it was four episodes that are about 14 minutes each. Um, and they're fables on conservative themes using animals as characters. And it was broadcast once on WBAI and then forgotten. And I wish someone would broadcast it again, but it was fairly unpopular kinds of arguments, like against minimum wage and against jobs programs. I was more sure of my opinions of those days than I am today. Um, and I thought it, I, I liked it, but uh, I don't know if anybody else ever did. <laughs> and then I did a half-hour drama called The Story of the Human Beings about a cargo cult in a Pacific island in 1944. 
and that was fictional, but based on uh, two stories of cargo cults. And that was taken up by NBR, and that got a national broadcast. And after that, I haven't really done any radio until recently. I did those uh, five promos for public radio that I haven't been able to get anybody to air, and um, just went on to work in other media. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I should mention anybody who's who's intrigued and, and wants to hear more, and we won't uh, hear every episode of our live together amongst the works of art on Radio Drama Revival. However, if you go to J ramey.com um and i'll just put a link on my website for people who don't want to try and spell that uh to the to the radio section there's uh, uh all the work that we've uh, that you just mentioned is on there as well as um the whole 28 episodes of um what you what you call your your little soap opera which is it just is really fun because like i like i said there's not a um, you're not. It doesn't really seem like you're trying to emulate anyone in particular. Like it really is just a, a unique voice, um, you know, and and just a, a great example of how dialogue can really drive the story and ha- let just let the personalities of the very uh, very opinionated uh, protagonists drive the drive the story. Well, thank you. Well, it was a cheap school of radio production. Uh, that was part of it. I just didn't have any kind of budget, and also I. Yeah. Um, I mostly think in dialogue. I didn't really think in terms of effects, and I've never written genre fiction or, um, I don't know. I was just attracted to doing it in that very simple way and letting the dialogue carry it. Great. Well, well, Jessica, thanks so much for your time today. It was uh, fun, you know, just sort of talking about um, this production, sort of, you know, exploring your work as this, you know, really independent voice and radio drama, uh, which is you know just just, just sort of a, a really fun discovery, and I have to uh, owe a thanks to to Pope Brock for for uh, introducing me, and and uh, thank you for letting me air it on the show. Thank you so much for your interest. And that was producer Jessica Ramey. Thank you again, Jessica. That is, uh, you can find out more about her work at jramey.com, j r a i m i dot com. Or you can just get the link on the RadioDramaRevival.com blog. Um, and of course, if you go there, remember you can find over 150 hours of original audio drama programming there, as well as learn all about the latest audio drama news by following us on Twitter at Radio Drama. Search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival or iTunes. The classic iTunes works really great on portable devices. Just search for Radio Drama Revival. Okay, that wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates on on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com. It's labor love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.